Hello and welcome to this week's podcast edition of Scripps 5 Must Know Things. This time for the business week ended 2nd July 2021. This is Ian Haydock. In this episode, vaccine efficacy and the Delta and Delta Plus variants, breakthroughs in CRISPR gene editing and microbiome therapies, and the pandemic's possible effects on regulatory pathways. AstraZeneca and Moderna both announced that their COVID-19 vaccines show signs of efficacy against the Delta and other SARS-CoV-2 variants of concern, as evidence mounts that Delta in particular is able to evade protection by Moderna's and Pfizer-BioNTech's mRNA vaccines. The question now is whether booster shots will provide protection from the variants first identified in India, as well as other more virulent strains. AstraZeneca said on 28th June that an analysis from the University of Oxford-led COV-001 and COV-002 trials of Vaxzevria, its adenovirus-based vaccine, showed that the third dose, given at least six months after the second, resulted in higher neutralising activity against Delta, along with the Alpha, which first emerged in the UK, and Beta, which first emerged in South Africa, variants. On 29th June, Moderna said results from in vitro neutralization studies of sera from people who had received mRNA-1273, its vaccine, showed that it produced neutralizing titers against Delta and Beta, along with Kappa, Eta, A231 and AVOIV2. Alaric Diamant reports there are mounting concerns about breakthrough infections, particularly with the B1617 Delta variants, even in people fully vaccinated with the mRNA vaccines from Moderna and Pfizer-BioNTech. A Public Health England study published in May indicated that the latter is 88% effective against Delta. Nevertheless, on 25th June, the Wall Street Journal reported that the Israeli government reimposed masking requirements after discovering that about half of infected adults in an outbreak of the Delta variant there were fully vaccinated with it. Although there is some evidence that Johnson & Johnson's vaccine offers protection against the Delta variant, in public comments, former US FDA Commissioner Scott Gottlieb has estimated it at about 60%. There have also been media reports of health professionals seeking second shots with the Pfizer-BioNTech and Moderna vaccines after receiving J&Js. Saying with coronavirus vaccines, India recently classified the Delta Plus coronavirus variant originally found in Europe as a variant of concern after the Indian SARS-CoV-2 genomic consortia said the variant has higher transmissibility and stronger binding to receptors of lung cells. Over 200 cases of the new variant had been found in as many as 11 countries by 16th of June. Viba Ravi writes that although renowned virologist Dr Gagandeep Kang has said more biological and clinical information is needed to back this classification, What is more concerning is Insacog's pronouncement of lowered efficacy of monoclonal antibodies to the variant. As per the data available in the public domain, monoclonal antibodies might not be effective against the Delta Plus variant, but we need more scientific data to back this claim. Dr. Ramil Tiku, who is Director of Internal Medicine at Max Healthcare, was quoted as saying in Indian media. Roche's Indian subsidiary has received an emergency use authorization in India for the antibody cocktail of Casirivimab and Imdevimab, developed by partner Regeneron. Lilly's Indian unit also has a local accelerated approval for its monoclonal antibody cocktail of Bomlaninivimab and Etasevimab. Another virologist, Professor Shahid Jamil, 
has expressed concern about the Delta Plus variant also dodging immunity developed via COVID-19 vaccines or earlier infections. The new variant not only manifests symptoms from the original Delta variant, but also carries symptoms from the Beta variant and the K417N mutation. Experts from the Indian Council of Medical Research are currently examining the efficacy of vaccines available in the country against the Delta Plus variant. Landmark results from the first in vivo CRISPR gene editing therapy have been unveiled by Intellia Therapeutics and Regeneron and could put them at the forefront of a medical revolution. Six patients living with hereditary transthyretine amyloidosis with polyneuropathy were given the CRISPR-Cas9-based therapy candidate NTLA2001, which edited out the single gene causing their condition and showed encouraging early safety and efficacy results, which suggest it could outperform existing therapies. While the first ex vivo CRISPR-based therapies, where cells are gene-edited outside the body and then re-infused, began several years ago, the NTLA2001 study marks the first time the technology has been used to eliminate a disease-causing gene inside the human body. The Phase 1 results, published in the New England Journal of Medicine on 26th June, showed the one-time gene therapy led to dose-dependent reductions in serum levels of transthyretine protein, which is the misfolded protein which accumulates in tissues throughout the body and causes the debilitating and often fatal complications of ATTR amyloidosis. The results showed mean reductions in TTR of 52% among the three patients in a lower 0.1 mg per kilogram dose group and 87% in three patients receiving the higher 0.3 mg per kilogram dose. Just as importantly, there were no signs that the gene therapy had any off-target effects in other liver cells, primary safety concern in the field. However, follow-up was limited to just 28 days and proof of long-term durability and safety of the therapy will be crucial. Andrew McConaughey writes the results are a milestone not just for ATTR patients but also provide a first validation of Intellia's in vivo technology which used lipid nanoparticles to deliver the CRISPR-Cas9 therapy to liver cells. The therapy comprises a two-part genome editing system, guide RNA-specific to the disease-causing gene and messenger RNA that encodes the Cas9 enzyme which carries out the precision editing. Intellia CEO John Lennon said, Solving the challenge of targeted delivery of CRISPR-Cas9 to the liver unlocks the door to treating a wide array of other genetic diseases with our modular platform, and we intend to move quickly to advance and expand our pipeline. Intellia is not the first company to have tested a gene editing technology in humans. Back in November 2017, Sangamo used its zinc finger nuclease technology to treat a patient with the rare genetic disease Hunter syndrome, but its candidate, SB913, failed to show efficacy. There have been many expert voices around pandemic-related learnings and regulatory adjustments that have the potential to stick as the world seeks to crawl back to some semblance of normalcy as COVID-19 vaccination gathers pace. Amgen CEO Robert Bradway found himself on tricky terrain on the issue at the recent USA-India Chamber of Commerce annual Biopharma and Healthcare Summit. Biocon Chair Kiran Mazundashore sought his views around extending emergency use authorizations to get drugs faster to market, like for COVID-19 vaccines, and also on whether the controversy around Biogen Azai's recently approved Alzheimer's drug Aduhelm 
could have been addressed by giving it an EUA and then backing it with real-world evidence. Andrew Gangody writes that the big biotech chief steered clear of any specific reference to Adihelm, explaining instead that there's a lot to be learned from the extraordinary accomplishment on the vaccines front. How that was possible, and the way in which industry, regulators, government and academia came together to try and solve a global problem. We demonstrated that the power of biotechnology is extraordinary when the ecosystem is working together to try and make a difference. So, is there an opportunity to increase the tempo of drug discovery and drug development? Absolutely. Are some of the things that we learned over the past 18 months applicable to diseases going forward or to the drug discovery development process? I think, absolutely, Bradway said in a fireside chat moderated by the Biocon head. Bradway believes one of the key challenges for innovators and regulators going forward will be to figure out which of the many things done differently for COVID-19 should be applied to the kinds of drug development and discovery that is routinely carried out. I think there are opportunities and hopefully we will see some. Whether it turns out to be in the form of emergency use authorization or some other method, I don't know that I want to speak to that specifically. But I simply would like to shine a light on the fact that there are pathways that will enable us to move more quickly than we have in the past, Amgen's CEO said. Biocon's chair suggested at the same meeting last year that some of the perspectives to regulatory science and processes emerging from Operation Warp Speed in the US also presented an opportunity to accelerate the regulatory processes across the board because I, for one, believe that it takes far too long to get either drugs or vaccines to the market. Finally, as Fering finalises its US submission for RBX2660 based on data from the world's first positive phase 3 trial with a microbiome therapy, the company's president, Per Fork, reflected on the challenges that lie ahead for the drug and the sector as a whole in getting a first-in-class therapy onto the market. Fork, who led Fering's 2018 acquisition of Rebiotics, the developer of RBX2660, spoke to Script when the privately owned Swiss group presented more detailed data from the 267-patient PUNCH CD3 trial at Digestive Disease Week. The data showed the non-antibiotic therapy administered by Enema and which restores the balance of microbes typically disrupted by antibiotic use demonstrated significant superior efficacy versus placebo, 70.4% compared with 58.1% at eight weeks post-treatment. It also reduced recurrences of C. difficile infection. Kevin Grogan reports the data puts RBX2660 in pole position to become the first standardised microbiome-based live biotherapeutic to potentially be approved. The data package will be presented to the US FDA by the end of the year, Fork tells Scrip, and Rebiotics has been working on the project since 2011. Fering says that behind RBX2660 is the largest and most robust clinical program ever conducted in the field of microbiome-based therapeutics, including six trials involving more than 1,000 patients. At DDW, the company also presented a positive interim analysis from the PUNCH CD3 open-label study, which showed positive efficacy and consistent safety with RBX2660 for up to six months. The expanded inclusion criteria allowed for enrolment of patients with CDI typically seen in clinical practice, including those with a co-diagnosis of inflammatory bowel disease or irritable bowel syndrome.
Falk stated that equally important to the clinical data was that you need to convince regulators that you have a manufacturing process which is predictable and standardised. He stressed the company and rivals such as Ceres Therapeutics, Finch Therapeutics and Vedanta Biosciences have been working with the FDA to develop guidelines on safety for the application of development criteria related to microbiota-based therapeutics. But finding a regulatory path has been tricky given that you have fewer reference points than you would have for other drug classes, but the FDA has been very forthcoming and supportive, not least because the treatment addresses an unmet need, Fork added. That's all for this week. Thanks for listening. And don't forget to sign in to get access to the full articles mentioned here, which are also linked in the article accompanying this podcast. A reminder also about the redesign of the script site, which allows much easier navigation to find the content you need much more easily. Bye for now.